This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Real Estate Agents, I trust, dot com. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. It is us, it is we, it is the Billy and Chris and stuff, and we're here now. <laughs> You're so weird. I'm going for non-professional because that seems to be what we're good at. It's the Church Boys, Chris Field here, Billy Hallowell over there. And uh, we're here with our silly little show, and we're thankful that you're here. And anyway, so... Are we? Are we thankful we are? We're thankful. I'm thankful that the listeners are listening. Uh, You're thankful that the listeners are listening. I'm not sure... People actually like this show, which is the strangest thing. Allegedly. 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 (laughs) Allegedly. Well, you know, your your favorite candidate, we should just launch right into this. You know, your favorite presidential candidate is is officially the nominee. It's How do you the, feel? The Trumpster. He finally, apparently, according to AP figures, he has uh, he has got the nomination sealed up. He. I wonder how Lion Ted is feeling about that. About that. <laughs> <laughs> I that love jerk, his nicknames that for jerk people. Lion Ted. I t- Donald. Okay, so let's just go. We'll just get into the Donald Trump thing. Donald Trump is. You just as you as you watch him more and more, you watch him and you watch the people he surrounds himself with, including people the the schmoes who are on TV, you know, behind him. I was I was about to tweet something to the or Slack something or whatever, message something to the entire edit staff, but I didn't. And I was watching a Trump rally in California and all the crowd that he has behind him. I've never seen a crowd that does the things that they do. I mean, they're all mugging for the camera. It's like it's like a frat party. But he's just this bully and they all follow him and they all listen to him. And it's just like, you people are clowns. Do you understand how you make yourself look? And they're this all is looking, why he's and they're all the mugging for the camera. The States, and though. it's so it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for them. I watched these I watched these campaign rallies and I'm embarrassed for the people who are there. It's just it's scary. I think he's going to slither right into the White House. Really I don't even do. think this I'm, is going to be. I, I think that it might be close, obviously, but I, I actually don't think this is going to be. I think he's going to win relatively I easily. I don't know. I you know, I don't know. I didn't think that before, and I could still be wrong. But my feeling is that just as he has ascended within the party, I think he will also ascend within the country. <laughs> people aren't going to admit it. A lot of people are going to pretend they're not voting for him. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are going to vote for him and not want to. But I think he's going to win. I I don't know. I think I I certainly I used to say he can't win. He won't win. It's just. But as I, as things move on, I'm like, okay, he can win. I'm not convinced like you are, but I, I do think if he's going to win, it's going to be tough. It'll be close. I think if she wins, it's not close. I think if he wins, it's super close, but I could be totally screwy, but 
I, I've yet to come up with a, a electoral map combination. Of course, you refuse to play along with this game, so we won't do that again today. Uh, but I think the country's so jacked up and fragmented that the map isn't even going to matter. Was, I mean, I think it's going to be in terms of being able to project and predict like yeah, we have in the past. I don't know. I, I think there are some that are going to be the reliables, right? Texas will be <clears> Trump. <throat> you know, uh, California will go Hillary. I mean, those yeah, guys. New, New York. I mean, obviously. But, but but what is I think even more disturbing than the than the schlubs who are standing around behind him. And again, if you're one of those schlubs who loves Donald Trump and you listen to this podcast, no offense meant, but you know, if the shoe fits, right? <laughs> you know, you the but, thing is, uh-huh. the thing about Trump is that he continues to defy the odds. And that doesn't mean he will in in the general, but I think he will. I think he will continue to defy the odds. Yeah. I think he will surprise people. He could. And I think he will win. Uh, he, I mean, he could. He could win. I used to say he can't win, but now I think he can, just not that I think that he will. Uh, that said, what is even more disturbing than, the, than the, the, the people standing behind him at rallies, people who are on his staff, that sort of thing, is the propaganda that's now being put out on his behalf. <laughs> and, and last night, or whenever it was... Uh, media critics were going off against uh, Fox News and because of something that was played on Greta Van Susteren's show. And uh, she played this clip, uh, a special for her show called uh, uh, Meet the Trumps. Not Meet the Parents, not Meet the Fockers, Meet the Trumps. And it's, it, it, we're gonna play the audio of it, right? And, but there's this all these graphics over it, and you'd swear it was it was created by somebody in in uh, North Korea. I mean, it's it really <laughs> is. It's like communist dictator propaganda. If if Hollywood were to make a state-run parody of uh, of propaganda, how glorious our our you know our dear leader is, this is what it would look like. In fact, think about if you've seen. Did you see the uh, crap? The ones Jennifer Lawrence movies with the bow and arrow. No, Hunger Games. Hunger no, Games. Did no, you see any I of the Hunger have Games? Taste. Have you seen any of the Hunger Games movies? I've seen no, them all. No, I, I have taste. I, I avoid that in Harry Potter. But they, they, they have. It's and as and I'm thinking, I'm just thinking of this now. It's like the Hunger Games. The the when President Snow comes up and the whole government says do 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 do, and there's this this government this message from the government about what's coming from President Snow or from whatever's going on with the central government. This reminds me of that. So let's play this. I also have no taste, just to clarify. Okay. I was well, there's also, but I there's also that. Right. So this is just a 15-second little clip, and we'll kind of describe the graphics to you. as. In fact, you know what we'll do is we'll play it, and then we'll come back and we'll play it again, describe the graphics as it plays. Okay, so just just listen to this and imagine the, the, the graphics of Trump up there and the words Trump in big gold letters and pictures of his family, but well, maybe I'll describe it as it goes. Here we go. Oh, there's a picture of Melania. Oh, and the, and the three kids. Trump's three kids. Meet the Trumps is what it says. It's time to meet the Trumps. And now Melania Trump takes us inside the Trump penthouse in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. Can you imagine anything? Does that look like anything that would normally be created in the, in the United States? Um, from, well, from everything that Hollywood has created for the Obamas mirrors that in some way. But yeah, but in mean, terms of a media outlet, right? As um, far as like even like, that's something that MSNBC might have done for Barack Obama. I feel like that's something every magazine does for the Obama, right? Like they put them on the cover, like the the Royals, right? But but, but this is a news outlet that. 
And look, these are commentary shows, but I think Greta is the least commentary-ish of the commentary yeah. shows in terms of the the depth of how far she goes. Right. So I thought it was a little a little but surprising. It's, and it's the music actually brings the creepiness over the top. Absolutely. I think. I don't know. The, the music does the graphics, but it's like almost like the onion did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really, 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 really bad. If you get a chance. Go to theblaze.com, find the story. It's easy to find. Just click on Donald Trump, and it's it's in that list of Donald Trump stories. But it's really bad. I mean, it's even worse when you watch it, right? Because I told you about it and then played some audio for it, but then you went and watched it. It's worse when you watch it, isn't it? Yeah, it's awkward. It's very weird. And I think, look, I'm sure that in some bizarro world, Fox is like, you know what? We're going to be the equalizer. Everybody else is going to make Trump look bad, and we're going to be the ones that treat him fairly. And so maybe this is part of that, but it, it's still strange. It is. It's, it's really it's strange. strange. And so, But here's here's something interesting uh, I just found out uh, just before we came on the show. The Fox Business Network, uh, actually not Business Network, Fox News Channel has gone out and hired a new hire uh, to also be their strong, their Trump reporter, and it's the guy who. Well, you would re, you would know this guy from something else that he put out. It's very famous. Uh, it was very well done, very classy, and he's now been hired by Fox News to help with the Trump coverage. I'll I'll play his most famous. It's about a one minute clip. This is this guy's most famous clip. Well, Ted Cruz here. He uh, he's saying <laughs> Donald Trump's scared of him, but hey, Donald Trump's not scared, and he's saying Donald Trump is uh, insulting his old lady, but he Donald Trump is just telling the truth there, Ted. And there's, I've got evidence, and I'll leave links, um, where Ted Cruz has been messing around with five different women. I got the videos where links to uh, videos of uh, Ted Cruz eating boogers. Okay, and this guy's a, <laughs> is a son of a bitch, and he loses his temper, and he makes threats, and I don't want this guy with his hand on the button. Okay, Donald Trump is the, is the man to vote for, and this guy right here, I even doubt he's even an American citizen. Okay? But I, for, for damn sure, he's a womanizer and a lying son of a bitch, and, and he attacked Donald Trump's wife, okay? And Don, Donald Trump's got a fine wife, and, and you're a bitch, dude. You need to leave Donald Trump the fuck alone. You just need to get out of the damn race, punk. You need to up America. <laughs> so that's, Chris, Chris, that's, wait. That's I, the newest Fox say, News hire. No, no, I, I, I want to congratulate you, and I want to say that this is a really coy way of you announcing your departure from the blaze by playing your video of your discussion about Trump and and, oh, and announcing that you're going to be going to Fox to cover him. I, I mean, think yeah. it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, you know, it was, it was Hannity and Combs for a long time. Then they canned Combs, and it's just been Hannity, and now it's going to be Hannity and whoever this douche is. <laughs> <laughs> But no, there is nobody going. That man is not going to Fox News. That was an elaborate joke. And no, um, no he is. He really is. You didn't. You didn't know that. I mean, come on. I mean, but uh, the way that again, the, just as an observer, someone who has watched Fox News for a long time, and I have to find myself having to change the channel over to CNN from time to time. The way that Fox News has behaved lately with the Trump stuff, it's it's sad that we have to put out that disclaimer that no, this guy isn't really going to Fox because there are people who would believe it because of the way Fox has conducted themselves during this election. Now, yeah, well, you know <laughs> that the <laughs> with that, let me, allow me to do this quickly. Uh, that's me ripping up my application to Fox news. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think, you know, I wonder, um, 
it'll be interesting if he does win. I'm sure Fox is going to have unprecedented access oh, to everything because okay. they've look. He was also, I assume, I know he was a contributor, so I'm assuming he was paid by Fox at some point. Yeah, I don't know um, I, for commentary, or at least was on the dole for them. I mean, he yeah. was constantly calling in. And I love the thing I love about Donald Trump, and I always say this: he does not want to be bothered to show up to your studio ninety no. percent of the time. No. He's just going to call you. Yeah. And nobody else is allowed to do that. Yet another Trumpism that is allowed that he has created a, an environment in which he could just call in. You know, but Fox News, shows. Fox News thinks that they have that in. If he wins, they think they've got that in. Again, I'm assuming motives, right? But I think that it's an observer. I think that it's not an unfair thing to at least surmise. I can't say that it's fact. But they're assuming they've got an in if he's president. The second they do something he doesn't like, guess what? Access is gone. Because he'll turn on people on a dime. Look what happened with Marco Rubio over the last 24 hours since, you know, we're recording this, you know, on Friday afternoon. Look what Marco Rubio did yesterday. And suddenly he's back in Trump's good graces and Trump is pushing for him to run for Senate. Marco has come out and said he'd be he'd be honored to speak on behalf of Donald well, Trump at the next <clears throat> convention. And I now do Donald Trump is pushing for him indicates... to be reelected. Well, I'm I'm wondering if that indicates that even though many people have said they would not serve as the VP, if Marco is considering serving as the AVP, I suppose for him. I suppose it's possible that he's considered serving it. However, Trump is also out there pushing for Marco. Marco has said a time and time again, Rubio has said over and over, I am not running for re-election in my Senate seat. I am not doing it. He came out just recently and said it, and then yesterday, Thursday, comes out and says, "Hey, he's open to the idea." And Trump is now pushing for Marco Rubio. To run for re-election to the Senate because the, the, the Republicans think they're going to lose their majority in the Senate. And so now they're pushing this and so is Trump and and Marco's playing nice and it's pissing, Hey, it's Marco pissing might off have a, bigger plans, right? It's There's pissing a lot off of a whole lot of Marco, Marco. people. Well, what's he going to do, right? He's not running for governor. He has no plans to run for governor. He's not running for Senate. What is Marco Rubio's plan, right? If you right. want to be president eventually, you're going to have to figure out something very good to be doing in the next couple of years right. that's going to keep you in the in it not only in the headlines but in the good graces of people to trust you to have a role that's bigger later on or to re, or to resume the role you had. So, right. I would assume he's looking at some sort of post in the administration and he's trying to butter up Trump or at least, you know, be favorable towards him so that if he does win, right. it's not going to be a crapshoot for him. But Marco Rubio uh, two and a half months ago was saying Quote, Donald Trump is a con artist who should not get access to nuclear codes. That is but a yet quote again, from Marco here we Rubio. are. The reality is one of these con artists is going to be president. But that's but, and, the, but the fact but the, but that doesn't and, and that's true. I agree. But the, the, the fact that Marco has flipped on that says that everything bad assumed about Marco Rubio, that he was an establishment kind of guy who will say whatever it takes to have control and be in charge, will say whatever he has to. Oh, I don't agree with you on that. I think. The fact that he was willing it, to call him a con artist earlier and now is turning yeah, around and say politics. he'd be honored look, to speak to him for, for speak for him at the convention. Okay, but look, the reality is he thinks they're both awful probably. He thinks they're yeah, both sure, con artists. Sure. And so you have to pick. You don't have a choice. You don't get to say, I I know everyone again wants to stand up on this high horse and act like they're so far above politics and they're not going to choose one of these two. One of these people will be I, president. You're, I understand that, but when your you, libertarian's not going to be president. But understand, you're, all, I I don't I don't disagree with you. I you're I'm not arguing that point. The fact is Marco showed himself when he played the never Trump card. And in fact, on his website sold never Trump merchandise. We knew he was lying then. And now he's well, look, come out. Maybe he changed his mind. And now he's look, come out and, and show that he was lying. 
maybe he changed his mind. Maybe it was part of the political push to try to get somebody else in there. When that reality became, look, we're going to say whatever we have to say to get somebody else in there. And I agree. But regardless of that, all it does is to show, confirm for us that these people aren't genuine the way that they try to make them out to be. No politician is. You can't be. That's why, really, it's a terrible place for a Christian or a good person. Um, (laughs) It is. No, I mean, politics is awful. It's not a place for you to be if you don't ever want to lie because there's none of these people are not lying. There's just different levels. They're on a a scale of zero to ten for how awful they are and how much they lie. Um, and, and some of them are at 10, like Hillary and Trump, and some of them are at, are at like one, nobody's at zero. So Kasich is maybe at like a three, who knows, or a four, I don't know. But it's, and actually Bernie Sanders is probably at a three. Unfortunately, he's 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 demonically honest. Yeah. So anyway, he's, yeah demonically honest no i'm just i'm so tired of this like i like i'm so tired of hearing about the never trump people i'm so tired of hearing about the pro-trump people i'm so tired about of all of these people just shut up and realize that someone's going to be president and either you know like i get you're never trump but that i like okay the only other people who are never trump right now are barbara boxer and the democrats so if you want to be never trump at this point just become a democrat because it's over (laughs) no but that's not but that's not quite fair but it's i understand i understand what you're saying but the i'm I'm saying that you're saying Basic, you're saying that as someone who doesn't intend to vote for Donald Trump. Um, I don't know. If I had to put a percentage on it right now, I'd still say it, it's 50-50. It, it was 0% now. It's 50-50 now. I've definitely changed on whether I'd be willing to do it. I think um, but do you I intend, don't have any do you plans intend to do to? it. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. You don't intend to. You're not you're not rabid anti-Trump like the like the like the zealots are. And I get that, and I can respect that. In fact, I'm not a zealot on it. However, I'm right now I am not going to vote for Trump Donald Trump. But he, when when Rubio goes out and says these kinds of things, he said he said three months ago, the party of Lincoln and Reagan and the presidency of the United States will never be held by a con artist. And he's talking about Donald Trump. He now is he said he would be honored to be considered to speak on behalf of Donald Trump at the convention. All I'm saying is, yes, people change their minds and that's allowed. But we called BS on this when he said it back then. And I caught and I, and I all he's done is confirm it now, and that Marco Rubio is exactly the politician that a lot of people thought he was months ago. Well, That's I will say I'm this: saying. I still like Marco Rubio. I, I still too. think it would have been a great I, choice, and I think I he would have beat Hillary. Too. I think that the Republicans made a huge mistake if you were looking at this strategically. I don't. I, I think okay, you could have gone with Ted Cruz. I know not to offend the Texas people, but I think you would have had a really hard time getting moderates even in places like New York to go for Cruz. I think it would have been a lot easier well, with somebody York, like Marco they Rubio. They don't care about New York. Mar- Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz both had the same shot of winning New York, which is 0%. 0% I'm, say, I'm giving that as an example. Right. I think, okay, but let's be honest. Okay, for instance, if I talk to people and I bring up Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, right. many people would say they think Ted Cruz is extreme. I've heard that word be used right. oh, sure. quite a bit. Sure. Right, so you're not going to hear as many people who are on the moderate side say that about Rubio. That was my only point. Yeah. No, I get that. Whether or not it's true, I'm saying the perception of it. Right. But anyway, so he's just, all he's done is just show himself to be who he is. And that is, he's a politician. A man with nice hair. He's a politician person. He's a politician. (laughs) They all are. (laughs) It's, uh, I'm so, I'm just like, the whole thing is exhausting. Um, I mean, but the most exciting part is that we actually get 100%, unless something crazy happens, the chance to watch. Hillary and Trump debate, which I'm oh, very excited about. That should be a blast. That should be. That is going to be. Those are going to be the best televised <laughs> events in the history of the world. <laughs> They'll be huge and spectacular events, too. 
Can you? I can't. I can't wait for it. I'm actually wishing it were happening now. <laughs> that will no, like you don't understand. I'm living for between this, now this and November eighth could be a ton of fun. It'll also be depressing, but also fun. Uh, you know? Fun is it's going to be amazing. It's like being the founders heroin. are going to be rolling over in their graves, but it's going to be amazing. It, you know, it's like being a heroin addict. It's going to be a ton of. It's going to be a. It's going to be a blast while you're doing it, even though you know it's killing you. You know, <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be the death of me. But boy, does it feel good. Right. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> so excited. All right, hey, let's let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about something godless. Does that work for you? I guess. Okay. <laughs> you guess? What do you mean you guess? You're half the show. <laughs> let's do it. Okay. We'll be back in just a minute. The founder of this company... 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Real estate agents, I trust.com. The church boys. Man, I eat these guys. So we have two interviews today for you, and one of them I'm actually really excited, although Chris, being an entirely incompetent evangelical, does not know this person very well. I've never met I, him. however, well, well, it's not my problem. That's your problem. Her name is Christine Kane. She's an evangelist. Um, really, though, the reason you might not know her is she's really just started, I feel like, to pick up more steam in the U.S. She's got a nonprofit that fights human trafficking. Um, I think it's called A21. She travels around the country, around the world, uh, speaking about a variety of issues, but really preaching. She's kind of a, a female evangelist, which is interesting because there obviously is a fascinating debate about well, whether or not well, then, females should be that's preaching. Why, that's why I'm not. Yeah, that's why I'm not so familiar with her because I, you know, think that he, you know, female evangelists are essentially, essentially uh, the beast. <laughs> well, this is you know, she's kind of like a speaker, you yeah, know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's and I actually wanted to interview her about this. I didn't really get to talk to her about it, but we talked about a variety of other things. She has a book out called Unashamed, um, and the book's doing really well. I think it's like in the top one hundred on Amazon right now. Um, and it, no, it's about, does it rank above or below Armageddon Code? Oh, Armageddon Code is not in the top one hundred. Oh, okay. Um, but she is fascinating. I mean, she basically talks about how shame is hurting the church and how individuals' internal shame. Um, and she talk, and really, the book talks about her upbringing being abused. She was sexually abused and um, really overcame a lot of things to become who she is today. Really, really great. I mean, you listen to her. She's one of those people you ask a question and she can give you a ten minute answer that yeah. weaves together perfectly with what you were oh. looking for. So it's like. She's a great interview. Okay, now you anyway. you conducted the interview. Let me ask you a question on the shame thing. A lot of us would argue, and I, you and I have discussed this before, that part of our problem in the church today is there are not enough people with shame. Is it a different kind of shame? I think so. I think it's like a secret internal shame, something you're struggling with or something you're okay. dealing with or something right. that's happened to you gotcha. that you're not addressing but that's impacting you gotcha. and holding right. you back from trusting god and right. maybe maybe you're angry at god maybe or you know i think it's something that's holding you back from your individual faith so you, which affects the corporate faith obviously so she's not talking it's, about people she's not talking about people who should have enough shame to not wear yoga pants when they you know are 600 pounds and they're squeezing into a you know oh uh, here we go right? no <laughs> okay it's not no. that kind of shame we need more of that kind of shame <laughs> People who engage in, and, and 
and to be you know to be more serious, people who engage in bad behavior, you should have some shame. You know, have a you know have a sense of shame kind of thing. That's that's the different a different kind of shame. Than what yeah, yeah. She's the, getting this at. shame, <laughs> I think, is about like the subtitle sums it up: drop your baggage, pick up your freedom, and fulfill your destiny. Like okay. being, you're, it's hard to get where you're supposed to go if you don't get rid of the baggage. Now, is um, this a, is it, like I again I, I'm I'm fine with female evangelists. In fact, some of my favorites are females. I love uh, Beth Moore and Priscilla Shire. I love them. And is this is this is what she does? Is she kind of geared toward female audiences? Is she a that sort of thing, like a Beth Moore kind um, of thing? Yeah, but not. She's she's also like I think a little more general than that though okay. too. Right. Like almost any big event, if you look at the rosters for big Christians event, Christian events this year, she'll be on them. Yeah, I mean, I she's I don't, everywhere. I don't do Christian things. So well, there's a good one coming in DC, and we should go to it in July. Um, million Christians. It's geared towards okay. millennials, which, oh, wow. which is great. And All she'll right. be speaking at that. It's we actually had Nick Hall. We had the yeah, guy yeah, on the yeah, show yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. it. That that event's coming up, and she'll be there, and that's going to be a great one. Okay. Um, she she's not like she relates to people, you know. She's not like right. a stodgy old Christian. Not that that's bad to be one, but she's not. <laughs> and she's like a fifty year old woman who, but she's like gets it. Like she gets yeah. young people. She gets. She's super cool, and okay, um, I told her she has to come back again. But right. I will stop ruining the interview, and we can just roll it. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys Podcast, and I'm very excited to welcome Christine Kane to the show today. How you doing? Hey, Billy, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm I'm so excited to chat with you, and there's so much to talk about. Um, obviously, you have a crazy schedule. I, I sort of see you all over the place at churches. I mean, around the world. Um, and right now, the big thing that you have going on is your new book. Which you know, congratulations. Your book is Ashamed, Unashamed, which I Unashamed. That's unashamed, right. Yeah. Um, which I Thank love. Thank you very much. I'm excited about it. Well, I love the title, and and I want to get into the subtitle of the book as well after, because I I also really like the uh, the call to action there in the subtitle, which is drop the baggage, pick up your freedom, and fulfill your destiny. But um, before we get into that, let's just um, I guess dive into why you wrote the book. You know, what was what was the motivation behind writing Unashamed? Well, you know, Billy, at the, bottom, at the end of the day, the number one issue. I, I turned fifty this year, and I kind of. Um, and thinking a little bit more legacy now than, than anything else. And I was thinking, what is the number one thing that I've had to struggle with more than anything else um, in my life? And really, it's the whole issue of shame. And so um, I thought if I can come out and, and people can see, you know, here's someone that's running a global anti-trafficking organization, you know, running a, a, a women's empowerment movement, and, and here she is. Um, saying this has been her big struggle. I figured if it's a big, if it's been a big struggle for me, it must be for most people. And not only was it a struggle, there are some things that people would go, well, then it's obvious that Chris would have struggled with shame. You know, I, I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when I was born. I, I was the victim of sexual abuse for many, many years. I grew up the child of immigrant parents in, in a nation that really was not, you know, pro-Greek immigrants at the time in the 1970s and 80s. And, um, and, and a woman in a culture that very much uh, did not affirm women, certainly was, you know, kind of a woman's highest goal is kind of get married, have kids and do nothing else with your life. So, and here I was, a young woman just wanting to do something um, significant in addition to getting married and having kids, which is what I've done. And so I sort of never fit in anywhere. And I think I fundamentally always felt this sense of unworthiness. And I guess a lot of that had to do, obviously, initially with the abuse that was happening because when you're first being abused, you know, you kind of think, 
what's happening to me is really wrong. And then um, when it keeps happening, I guess over time, I started to believe the lie that there is something wrong with me. That's why it's happening. And that kind of tape recorder of there's something wrong with me, even um, when I came to faith in Jesus and, and started ministry and launched um, A21, I would find that there were still shards of that shame, of that feeling of unworthiness that would just pop up um, at, at really random times in my life, in my career, in my ministry. And I thought, you know what, the fact that I have to keep coming back and dealing with residue and being vigilant to not spiral down back into a shame spiral. Um, well, if that's one of my biggest struggles, you know, that in the culture in which we live where where people are always, fund, you know, just through media and life and social media, everyone has this feeling of I'm not enough, you know, I'm not rich enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not uh, educated enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not thin enough. I mean, you never kind of feel enough of anything. Um, I thought I want to speak to that and help people understand that um, we, ha we are fundamentally worthy because we're created in the image of God and, we, and our life should be based and our identity should be based on what God says about us, not um, what society says or the mistakes that we've made or what other people have done to us. So kind of, there you go, encapsulated is, is the framework of why I wrote it. Well, I, I love that. And I think it's so, I don't want to use the word rare, but I think to a degree it is. You know, when you have well-known faith leaders and you have people out there, um, you know, sometimes there's a tendency to sort of package things up nicely and not dive into some of the things that you've just discussed, you know, some of the personal things, some of the places where we can look and say, oh, you know, there's a, a deficiency or an issue in my own life. I love kind of hearing that from people like you who, who have gone through this and then other people can kind of look to you and say, okay, well, how did she, how did she work through that? And I think, I think the issue of shame is a really important one. And you know, I guess I would ask you, do you think that this is a, a big, broad problem in the church today, this issue of shame? Oh, absolutely. And, and can I just say it's not today. I mean, if you just theologically, even if you look at it, um, in Genesis 2, the very last verse, uh, verse 25, just before the fall in chapter 3, the, the final thing that's written there, it says, Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame, or, you know, depends what version, and they were unashamed, or they felt no shame. And so I thought it was interesting when I came across that, because I thought it could have said Adam and Eve were naked, and they, I don't know, they felt no fear, they felt no anger, they felt no, pick a, pick a word, but it says shame. And then, bang, we go into Genesis 3, there's the fall, and... Um, the serpent comes into the garden and, and immediately says, you know, did God really say? So again, let me question your identity. Let me question the word of God. Let me question, um, because if you don't know really what God has said about you, you are going to believe what that teacher said, what that parent said, what some ex-lover said, what some ex-spouse said, what the media says, what the magazine says. I mean, you're going to believe something else. And then it says of the first recorded conversation in the Bible between God and man, the Lord's walking through the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? He's like, calling him out and Adam is you know I was naked afraid and so I hid um, and I, I sat there and I thought isn't that interesting that the first words that we hear from God to man is where are you I kind of feel like he's saying the same thing to us in churches today hello where are you <laughs> and you're kind of like I'm naked I'm afraid and so I'm hiding so we go through a religious ritual maybe on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or whatever our, you know our Bible study whatever our religious ritual might be um, 
but we're really hiding. We put on our mask. We hide behind this pretend sense of I'm okay, everything's great, and we're dying on the inside. And I think the Lord's just waiting for us to say, would you come out of hiding? Um, God cannot heal what you do not reveal. So I think he's well aware of our broken places, um, of our wounds and our damage, and he wants to bring healing. I truly believe Jesus can heal us. I truly believe that Jesus shamed shame on the cross. But if you're going to keep it in hiding, how on earth is he going to deal with it? So I think it takes a lot of us going, look, um, I'm not there yet. I'm certainly on the way, and I'm certainly not entirely where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I thank God for that. And I think really that's what the message of the book is. is um, I, I'm fighting this from victory, but I'm still on the way to victory. And so you don't have to pretend you've got all your stuff together. Um, how about we reveal it and bring it before the Lord and allow him to heal the broken parts because we all have broken wounded parts and I think in the world we live in today it's exasperated because we have never had the access obviously to internet social media to messages that tell us we are not enough we are bombarded with those messages from morning to night um, at least it was easier you know in 1960 1970 you just uh, in Australia I had four channels of TV um, <laughs> and so that was it that, that was my whole exposure to you know media telling me that I'm not enough well nowadays from the minute I wake up and I'm carrying it with me on my phone and I'm logging on and I feel, you know, I see it in women particularly. I really address uh, women today that, and it doesn't just hit, and I really didn't write the book for for only the woman that is broken and has had a hurting past and obviously so many people fall into that category, but through my work with Propel Women, I'm, I'm dealing with, um, you know, corporate executives, uh, very successful entrepreneurs, women well-educated, articulate in the marketplace, but they're dying. And some of them, I mean, here's just a very simple example, and I could give you 20, um, say a, a working mother, very successful in her career, um, but being shamed maybe by a stay-at-home mother that just says, you know, you're not being a really good mum because you should be at home with your kids. I mean, the, the, the way the woman has to fight that, like, I don't feel like I'm entirely at work because I'm thinking about the kids at school or at home, and when I'm at home, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about work and that angst, that shame that I'm not giving myself to everything well, I'm not the best worker I could be, I'm just not enough I'm not, in my career, I'm not great at that, I'm not great at being a mother and I, I deal with very highly successful women that are carrying the shame of feeling like they're either a failure as a mother or a failure in the workplace um, and I mean that's a simple form down to, you know, the shame of, you know, I'm not, I'm not um I'm just not worthy enough and or I've blown it I've made some massive mistakes or in the faith world you know how could God love me imagine if the person sitting in the pew next to me knew what was really going on you know they wouldn't talk to me or or of course I've been doing youth ministry for years you know young women college age cutting ashamed of their bodies ashamed of their mistakes or um, overeating um, or or starving themselves I mean it's the list is just endless of where shame hits us yeah, and it's funny, too, because you mentioned media and how that's changed. I mean, one thing, social media, this notion of putting out the sort of the perfect picture of who we are, it's almost like the pressure that people feel to do that, but then you're seeing everybody else do it, and it's not just the magazines and TV anymore. Now it's sort of everywhere. It's on our phones. It's it's this, this I guess, quest, this need to try to be perfect when none of us really are, which I think is kind of you know, fascinating and probably adds to that problem of shame for, for a lot of people, I would assume. Well, totally. And I think I talk a lot about in the book when I, you know, through my brokenness, 
um, you look to control certain things or you look for perfectionism. And so because you're so broken on the inside, and I find that the, the more broken often people are on the inside, the more they try to portray um, perfection on the outside. And I think um, even as leaders, um, shame-based leadership is destructive. It destroys people. It destroys your followers. It, it steamrolls over people um, to achieve goals um, when really you need to deal with your stuff internally. And I, I always say, you know, wounded people wound people, hurting people hurt people, shamed people shame people, um, it, broken people break people. It's so I think a lot of our leadership, we have to be really honest. Um, we are so task-oriented, so performance-driven, um, and I think it's nice to have some female voices into the leadership space because we will tend to stop and say, let's just pause. Um, and I'm outcome-oriented, and I certainly look at performance indicators, um, but let's look at our internal world. And I think it's time that we start talking about our internal world and leading um, from a place of wholeness rather than driving people from a place of brokenness. Yeah. And I think we've only seen a particular style of leadership, and so it's nice to have some feminine voices in that space to go, come on, let, let's get a little bit broader and, and stop destroying people on the quest to do what God has called us to do. Yeah, and you look and you look at your your history, your past. You talked about some of these things that you went through, um, you know, being adopted and facing abuse and all of that. And then I look at that subtitle again, which I, I love. Uh, you know, drop the baggage, pick up your your freedom, and fulfill your destiny, which is something you've been able to do. I mean, you travel around the world as an evangelist. You teach the Bible. You're the founder of the A21 campaign. I mean, you've done so much, and you've been able to overcome that. I would imagine that there was, and I can't speak for you, obviously, but dealing with what you dealt with growing up, in addition to the shame, maybe some anger, I don't know, frustration with God, trying to figure out how to trust God um, after all of that. How were you able to do that, and why is it important for others to be able to overcome some of those maybe similar issues or other things that they've faced that have made them feel the same way? Oh, for sure, and that's a great... I mean, I, I dedicate two whole chapters to that because it is a big deal. You know, the Bible says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Now, um, you know, it took me a long time to to move that truth from an intellectual belief to a heart belief um, that God has no dark side. Because for years I was like, if you were good, uh, why did you let those bad things happen to me? You could have stopped it and you didn't. Um, and then I really unpack in the book what happened to me during a counseling session once that just really helped me to understand for the first time truly the love and the grace of God and the fact that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to good people and the grief of the Lord over those things. And I think when I got to that place of realizing that Jesus really does not have a dark side, people that hurt me, people that abuse me, uh, they have a dark side, but Jesus does not have a dark side. He is light. In him there is no darkness, that he is trust worthy. Um, I can't even begin to tell you what, what it meant to me to to go on that journey of discovering that he is worthy of my trust. Um, it's not easy, you know, when you have been violated, when you've been betrayed, when you have been hurt, when you've been discarded, you don't easily give your trust to people. So that was quite a quest and quite a journey for me. Um, and, and I unpack how I, I did all of that. And you actually have to come to that place if you're going to move past your past. A lot of people, they really never do move past their past. Their, their, their life is one eternal yesterday. They get stuck in that moment of pain or suffering or injustice. Um, and that they never move beyond it. They never actually step into their destiny. And that's why I wanted to clearly lay out a process and go, look, 
I'm 28 years on in my journey as a Christian. I'm almost 50 years old. Um, I've been at this thing for a while now. If I can say anything to you, it is this journey. If you would, if you would apply these principles, and again, I haven't given everyone a how-to specifically, but I have given overarching principles to go. This is what helped me, and particularly my my journey through uh, learning to forgive the perpetrators of the abuse against me, plus some of the other things that happened to me in my life. Um, it was it was the deal breaker. That was the the unforgiveness issue, the anger, the rejection, and the bitterness. It was the deal breaker in my life, and there is no way on earth I would be leading the A twenty one campaign or propel women or speaking and teaching around the world like I do if I didn't nail that one. There, there's no way, and if I wasn't committed to the ongoing daily practice of doing it, I don't. When I say to people like, "What do you think? Am I so healed?" that I don't need Jesus every day. Like, of course I do. So uh, it's that divine tension of the Christian faith, which is already and not yet. And so I am already there, but I'm on my way there. And um, I'm saved and I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm I'm, I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, and yet I'm here on earth on my way to be seated um, in heavenly places with the Father. I mean, it's that divine tension. And I think when you take the pressure off yourself to say, I have to get there now, um, it takes all the pressure off because I go, Jesus has already gotten there for me. Jesus is already there. If I can get into that place of trusting him and abiding in him, he'll take me the rest of the way where I can't get there myself. I love that. And I want to switch gears just a little bit as we're kind of rounding out here towards the end of the interview. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, you have, you're doing so much at a time when a lot is happening in the church around the world. You know, I spend a lot of time looking at patterns and trends and kind of reporting on what, is going on with with faith, um, not only in the U.S. but abroad, and there are a lot of challenges, obviously, right now in the world for a lot of different reasons. Um, what would you say? And sort of a loaded question, but what would you say is the most pressing issue facing the church today? Well, I, you know, I think, and you're right. I pretty much spend my life doing laps of the globe, so I, I get a very good sight of the global church. Um, you know, I fly over three hundred thousand miles a year, a year on every continent, so and across every stream, which makes it interesting. So, um, the evangelical church, the the charismatic church, um, the Catholic church, the Orthodox church, because we we work in fourteen different countries with A21, and I've got to work with all the systems that, that exist in those nations. And so it gives me a very uh, a very good overview of, you know, what I believe the Lord's doing today. And I think regardless of um, of wherever we are, we're not in Kansas anymore. I think Christianity, particularly here as we've known it in North America, um, it's not going to cut it. Uh, it's not going to cut it. We have to be living a dynamic, vibrant, everyday faith, not a Sunday faith, not a fake faith, not a religious faith that's based on um, rules and regulations. And we have to learn what it truly means to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. If you had to say, Chris, what what is it? And uh, I mean, you know, I can wax eloquent here, but at the end of the day, Jesus goes, let me take 613 Old Testament mosaic laws. Let me wrap them up into two verses for you. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart or your soul or your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, that all sounds wonderful. Um, but And we do love our neighbor with all our, you know, we love our God with all our hearts and all our minds. It's just often in the church, we love him with all of our broken heart, all of our wounded soul, and all of our tormented mind. And so when your inner world is really fragmented and broken, then that's how you see God. And then you mirror that back to yourself. And then out of that brokenness is how you love your neighbor. So you love your neighbor out of fear, out of dislike, out of brokenness. And um, 
I think what we have to do is learn what does it truly mean to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? What does it mean to break down walls, tear down walls and build bridges um, rather than than propagating um, fear and uh, making people withdraw? Jesus said, be in the world, but not of it. So what does it mean to be in the world and not of it and having an authentic faith where we are salt and light in the midst of a very dark world? What does that really mean to have an active faith? Not one that runs from the world, but one that engages the world and yet brings transformation to the world. And I think that's what Christians are nutting. We have a nutting out. We have a young generation, um, obviously very committed to justice. I think a, a lot of why, as a 50-year-old mother of two, I'm still connecting with um, young people all over the world has got to do with, I think they, they see that there is not a disparity between my faith and practice, um, that you know, I love the word, I love Jesus, I'm a gospel girl, I'm an evangelist at core, um, but there is no separation to me between um, proclamation and affirmation and obviously running the A21 campaign and helping the poor and the marginalized, being very actively involved in the refugee crisis in Greece and helping to bring relief there. I think that gives me a lot of credibility with young people, um, but also my concern is that we still uh, have a gospel to proclaim. Um, I'm certainly not you know, it, uh, the social justice is not the entire gospel. Jesus is the gospel. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we do have um, a faith that still needs to be proclaimed and lived out. And I think people are starting to realize that it's not either or anymore. It's both and. And the more we are willing to embrace the both and, which means we need to have an interconnected faith life ourselves. We cannot be saying one thing out there and living another thing internally. And I think that, um, you know, relevance has got nothing to do with skinny jeans and tattoos and piercings. <laughs> relevance is the degree to which uh, your the way you live your life matches up with what you say you believe. And I think that's what keeps us relevant. So you can be a 50-year-old mother of two like me and still be entirely relevant, hopefully, if my inner world and my outer world um, are in alignment. People want authenticity um, and relevance. And let's not think that skinny jeans, tattoos, and really loud music is what makes us relevant. I think the way we live our Christian life is what makes us relevant. Well, I love that. My last question for you is just how, you know, how do you respond to those who will say, and we'll hear it all the time, you know, Christianity is dying, faith is dying. You know, what is, what is your reaction to that when you hear it? <laughs> they need to get out more. That's my reaction. Is um, you need to get out more. You are in such a small little circle. The church has never been more vibrant on the earth. The church has never been more alive on the earth. The church has never been more widespread on the earth. We've never been reaching more people as we are today. There have never been the numbers coming to faith as there are today. Uh, this is the greatest time on earth, in history, to be part of the Church of Jesus Christ. So whoever thinks that the Church... I'll tell you what's declining and dying. Nominal religion. Dead, empty religious works. That's dying. But who cares? Um, the authentic Church... Oh, she's alive and well. She's thriving. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So she is doing great and she's glorious across the earth. I love it. Well, this has been great and I, I so appreciate you coming on. We definitely want to have you back again and we'll make sure we link out to Unashamed so everybody can get copies. Thank you. It would be my honor. You're awesome. Thanks so oh, much for having me. Thank you. So we've talked before about how, you know, I live out here in the Pacific Northwest, and the two most unchurched state, unchurched states in the Union, 
at least traditionally have been, Oregon and Washington. And they compete for number 45 and 50 as far as churchiness goes. And Oregon this week, it was shown that there's some screwiness, extra screwiness going on in the state of Oregon about some transgender things and some folks being sued for using incorrect pronouns. And Billy, lay this lay this idiotic story. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> lay this story out for us about You're awful. this teacher um, who is having his, her, its feelings. It, I don't mean it as derogatory. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, that's the state of confusion I'm in after reading this story. Well, so, okay, this this teacher's name is Leo Sowell. I'm going to go Sowell, Leo Sowell. We'll go with that. I'm not sure to pronounce the last name. Uh, it is an individual who was born female but doesn't identify, as far as I can tell, for, by either being male or female and actually wants to be called they. That's right. the pronoun this individual wants. Um, this is a fifth-grade teacher who apparently, as the story goes, had breast cancer, had not come out as transgender, had breast cancer, um, was treated for breast cancer, breast removed, and had a surgery to make uh, the chest of the individual appear more masculine. Um, And then afterward, started encountering issues at the school claiming that teachers were kind of harassing, refusing to call the teacher a man or they, calling her, calling she um, lady, you know, female pronouns. She claims that was harassment. Right, right. Now, now, where this gets tricky is there were apparently other things that happened. Somebody put Vaseline allegedly on the cabinets. Right. Of the t- now, that's, that's the stuff that is wrong. You know, right. you get into these debates and it's like, if that's true. Right. Actual harassment, if true, that's a problem. Calling, now, the, calling there someone. Was a, what was that? I said calling somebody by a pronoun that fits, fits their chromosome makeup is not harassment. So the other thing was that there was a bathroom allegedly that the only gender neutral bathroom in the building that other teachers started apparently using to try to prevent this teacher from using it. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but needless to say, there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of complaints in the end after threatening a a lawsuit, getting a lawyer, uh, this teacher struck an agreement with the, with the school district. And, um, that agreement was for $60,000. It was a payout for emotional damages and other expenses, legal expenses. There were apparently expenses related to health coverage that things that were not covered. And the, the Oregonian didn't, (laughs) didn't go into details on this, but they said that part of that 60,000 was reimbursing expenses out of pocket. I wondered if that was the surgery, the the Mm trans transitional part of the surgery that might not be covered. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, needless to say, the other part of this that's controversial, though, is that the principal of Hall Elementary School, which is where this teacher works, allegedly sent a letter out um, to teachers and staff. And the letter says that uh, the district's anti-bullying policies require that all staff address transgender or gender non-conforming employees with their correct name and pronouns. If you are found to be in violation of these policies, you will be subject to d- discipline up to and including Does dismissal. It, did they define what correct gender name pronouns are? No, I think the assumption though is that the that the requested um, the requested one is the correct one, even if it's incorrect. That's the assumption. I, okay. You know, I I mean, now you have Franklin Graham, and this is why this story came back up because this happened a few days ago. <laughs> he put out a a uh, a response to this on Facebook, and he basically called it a threat. You know what this principal wrote and said that um, he said that's incredible. Use correct pronouns. Doesn't a person's DNA or birth certificate count for anything? Shouldn't fact override fantasy? God created people male and female. Share this post if you agree. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got. You know, 15, 27,000 27, likes, 5,000 comments, comment. and 15,000 shares. 
So, hey, you have his number, don't you? Why don't you give him a buzz? Let's see if he wants to come on. You know, I don't he I don't have his number. I wish I did. He's like one person that has avoided ever giving me his number, probably uh, with good reason. Well, hey, you know what? We got uh what about Lots? That's her Lots? that's her brother, right? Yes. We gotta get her on. She's been call saying it. lots of things lately. I keep you seeing her name in the headlines. Give, give like, her a call and say, hey, listen, I can't find your brother's name, but maybe you could speak. Maybe this. God kept her father alive, she said, um, because of something to do with Jesus' return. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's an interesting prospect. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I'll go with it. Whatever. Right, whatever. Um, anyway, so the, now this whole thing that I think the big concern to me as I look at this, and this is popping up in other places with kids right. who are transgender, is that it looks like what's happening is school personnel are being told you have to legal, well, legally, basically, because you'll lose yeah. your job if you don't. You have right. to, under school regulations, use the preferred pronoun or you can be fired. Right. That, to me, is an extreme restriction of, of free speech in that I, I think you shouldn't harass people. If I knew that calling somebody by the opposing uh, pronoun of what they wanted would offend them, I would try to avoid having that. I would call them by their name. I wouldn't right. go to I'd purposely call, call them lady if they didn't want that. Right. I would call Leo Leo. Right. right. I wouldn't now. I, I wouldn't purposely say he 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 if I knew that person right. didn't want it. Right. Because what's the point of upsetting somebody? I don't have to agree. Whatever. But to tell me that I have to use the pronoun. I, I think John Piper made a very good point when he said, and this is months ago. We covered it on the Blaze. When he said, look, if you want me to use somebody's preferred name, I have no problem with that. That's right. what their preferred right. name is. Right. But if you're telling me to use a pronoun, I'm actually lying because I right. don't believe that person right. is the opposing gender. Right. You're, 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 you're purposefully misstating a fact. It's the same thing with journalism. Uh, you know, we have a practice here to use if a, if, a, if, a, if a man who likes to dress as a woman wants to be called she and that's their preferred pronoun – media wise that's what they what's what most media does is they say okay that's the preferred pronoun for that person i as a as an editor do not like that because it's you're introduced you're purposefully factually incorrect and so i change wherever i can not she to he but reword things so that we use the person's name or other descriptors for the person if it's somebody who's a celebrity you can say the celebrity or or whatever but to be factually wrong on purpose seems uh, uh stupid to me <laughs> Well, this is, and this is why I've never been a big fan of the AP Style Guide. I understand having standards, and I think it's great, but right. how does the AP Style Guide handle uh, abortion? Isn't it a very similar, you're, you're yeah. anti-abortion. You're not pro-life. Right. You know, you're anti-abortion. Yeah. It's and, and that's fine. I think that one's a little bit, but, but there have been other issues, too, with immigration and whatever, where right. a very political ideology, I think, shapes sometimes how right. we approach some of these issues. And we, excuse me. <sighs> Well, you're making me tired. But sometimes Am I that boring? I, I, yes. Uh, anyway, I just I, I I'm with Piper. Why would you ask to be incorrect? And then, and we already have problems with people in their writing that they like to use they, them, and their when you're talking about a single person. And now there's the the school district is saying with this teacher, she 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 he they whatever prefer to be called they them their. That's not. I'm not talking about multiple people. I'm talking about one person. One person is a is a he or a she or or an it if they if that's what they prefer. But he or she. When I'm talking about a person, I don't call that one person them. You know, I that's that's grammatically incorrect as far as in writing goes. And it's I, well, this teacher doesn't identify with either you know gender, which is really interesting. Um, then and, how exactly? What you know? Are you a lump of clay then? 
Well, what look, you? you're free to identify however you want. It doesn't change the reality of how you were born. And and look, I was reading something. Christianity Today had a psychologist who really went deep on this issue this week. Um, and I didn't finish reading it yet, but was talking through what what is going on, how where psychology is right now, being able to address this issue, how there's so much that is unknown, what causes it. Um, what is it that the, the brain, whatever theory, the brain, where, where basically when you're in the womb, your physical body goes one way, but the, but your brain goes another way, and that maybe that's what's going on here. Needless to say, whatever the cause of this issue is, I think that there needs to be a balance between truth and respect for people. Yeah. But I think when you're demanding on one side that people abandon truth to only respect people, right. and you're not letting people have that truth— for Christians, forcing them, for some Christians, forcing them, or most, I would argue, to use pronouns they don't wish to use is is a violation of some sort. But even beyond that, when the government starts stepping in, and these are public schools, yeah. and starts saying this is how language is going to be or else, right. that's a little tricky. Well, and this person, Leo, she has been a teacher in an elementary school, and it wasn't until, what, 2014 that she came out and said, you know, I'm transgender, I prefer, you know, to be whatever, male. So these kids who have known her as their teacher either have had her or are going to have her or know her in the school as Miss Soul, right? Now suddenly they're going to be required, be required to call her Mr. Soul? I mean, what? how do you deal with the kids? Are they going to be punished? Are they going to be reprimanded, suspended, expelled? I mean, what's going to happen to them if they don't, if they call this woman teacher, this female teacher who they've always known as Miss Soul, if they continue to call her the name they've always known her as and which she genetically is? Well, the big problem here is you're talking about elementary school. This isn't even high school where right. I think These it's a little kids. easier. These are fifth grade kids who are young. And I think the school allegedly had some concerns initially, which is why there was this back and forth about impressionable young people and right. having a tough issue that needs to be addressed with those with those kids now. Right. And if she's and if she's teaching fifth grade, it's different. It's even different if it's she's teaching first grade versus fifth grade because first graders, there's maybe a year of kindergarten in that same school where these kids have known her. But after they don't have her anymore, they don't have much interaction with her to begin with to call her by the wrong pronoun. But if she's teaching fifth grade, kids from kindergarten through fourth grade have grown up with her in the school as their as the fifth grade teacher. And though they're, they're going to have her as a teacher, they've always known her as Miss Soul. And now suddenly she's Mr. Soul. And how does that work? And if you refuse to call her Mr. Soul, are you going to be are you going to lose points on your homework? Are, are you going to be expelled? Are you going to have to go have principal time? Are you losing recess? What's happening to those kids who call Miss uh, Mr. Soul Miss Soul, which indeed she is Miss Soul? Yeah, I didn't actually see much about the kids, which is which is an interesting well, they're angle. They're ignoring and, it because look, they can't talk about it. Because if they do talk about it, then they're going to damn themselves. Um, oh, it's such a tricky story, and it's such a. I think it is interesting. Like when we just look at where we are right now. I mean, there, there's this the level of the quickness and speed of how this is all changing yeah. is almost daily. It's like right. leaps and bounds every day. Um, but I think when, when you start getting into legally requiring or and or um, in, in the context of a work environment requiring these things of people, you are making some infringements. I mean, you're demanding a certain language from somebody. I just don't understand how that squares with right. the First Amendment. Yeah. Now, well, well, wait. Now, this goes back to the whole Kim Davis thing, too, because these are people who work for the government. Are they not protected then because they're teachers who work for the government? Right. Are they protected? Right. Are they? This oh, is yeah. why all of this I is agree. a slippery slope from day it one. Is. And it I've is. always said that. And it is. And you've been right on that. And, and you know, we're not going to clip that and keep that. But, but I will admit <laughs> that one time. 
Uh, it wasn't so much about Kim Davis being right on that issue because I think I we agreed on that. You know, look, right, you are in that right, role. Yeah. Although I don't know, I went back and forth on that. But but I think the bigger, broader picture is once you start saying that, well, then anybody who works for the government and in New York City, it's going into private businesses oh, too. Yeah. I think it's, it's not ridiculous. even just it's ridiculous. the government. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. if yeah, it's troubling. I mean, it's it's really. So what if what if what if Leo Soul, Miss Soul, Mister Soul, whatever she prefers to be called, I don't even know. You know, whatever Leo Saul, teacher soul, wants to be called. What if Leo had come back and said, I would like to be referred to as king? Then what? Uh, I, I would I would like to be referred to as principal soul. Well, you're not the principal. Yes, but I envision myself as the principal. I see myself as the principal. I feel like I'm the principal. Do you suppose the principal would say, you know what? We're going to call Leo Saul principal soul. Well, she's not the principal. Well, that's too bad. That's how Can she I, feels. That's what she prefers to be called. So when does when do we draw the lines on the silliness? I say we draw the lines on the silliness before changing the pronouns. All right. Well, let me just I want to put something out there for those who are concerned about religious freedom or are concerned about these issues. This is where the Donald Trump. We're going to go back to Trump for a second here, where uh. this becomes somewhat and, and Chris is good. Like Chris's head just went down. He's totally disgusted where this does become somewhat of a question for people. If you know that there's a very good chance that in the next four years, some of these cases of people who want protection are yep. going to go to the Supreme court and you know that that's going to happen and you willingly allow for a person to be elected who will make sure that a Supreme court justice is nominated and confirmed, or at least try to ensure that they're confirmed, uh, that will make sure that people are not protected and that will not give people those protections, and you ignore the person who might, you at least have a better chance right. of giving you a Supreme Court justice who will protect people, I would say that's the biggest issue in this election coming up for me is the Supreme Court. And that would be the one thing that would convince me possibly yep. to vote or not to vote for somebody yeah that's and I, that's just know, something i'm just throwing it out and, there and i do think and and that's the one and, I, and and as you know that's the one thing where you where where i'm that's if you're going to convince me that's the argument that's going to convince me i i have to say that is the only argument that has been relatively at all because when you're looking yep. at a crapshoot either way um, that is the differentiator and you right. know what you're going to get on one end on the other end. You're not quite sure, but you do assume if it's there's a second term that needs to be one, <laughs> it's probably going to be a decent pick. Yeah. Um, you assume. Yeah, it's not going to, we, we believe it's not, we believe it's not going to be worse, but the problem is, does his authoritarianism cancel out any other good he could do? I think you're going to get goes. authoritarianism either way. What else do you call demanding I think, but I see, what yeah, but people I think, say? But I think that I think, yeah. I, I and there I agree, but I think that you're going to see people. The Republicans will stand up to Hillary's authoritarianism more than they would uh, Trump's. But that's we've already talked about Trump. I don't know about but, that. You don't look think at so? how they've treated Trump so far. I mean, it's been it's been yeah, a they're kissing his feet. They're all falling in line. All of the well, Republicans you have to who at said, this point, if you want to retain Republicans control. who said never Trump, never Trump. He's a monster. He's a con artist. He's a jerk. He's whatever. They're all falling in line and kissing the ring. All of them. So, no, I don't have any faith that they will stand up. They haven't stood up to Barack Obama the way that they said that they would. So I have no belief. I have no reason to believe that they will ever. So then ever why would what does it matter up? then? They're not going to stand up to Hillary either. Like, it, it, I that's think they're the more. Point, like, but I think that they will stand up to her more. They will stand up to her as much as they stood up to Barack Obama. Which is not much, but that's certainly more than they'll stand up to any sort of authoritarian move that Donald Trump makes. Listen, because it's their party versus the other party, because they don't listen. really care about principles; they care about party. 
Honestly, at the end of the day, I'm, I think the Supreme Court thing is compelling. And I think when you're talking about these yep. issues, it's the difference of having freedom to exercise what you believe. It is the actual uh, difference of being no, able just to. Second. Just a second. You used a word it, I am not comfortable with. Exercise. <laughs> so let's not let's not go crazy here. I think, you Practice, know, and, and I know there's controversy over this when it comes to the cakes and everything else. But I, but I do think. You know, you have to always put yourself in the other side when it comes yeah. to free speech. And you have to say, do you as a gay or lesbian printer want to be forced to make gay right, you know, anti-gay T-shirts? Do you I mean, these are these are important questions. And I think anybody on either side needs to be able to ask them and, and, and figure out you know yeah. where they would stand if they were in that position. Right. All right. I'm done ranting about this. So do you want to take a break? You just want to awkwardly transition. Let's awkwardly transition into our last interview. Right here, it's just a second here. There you go. Go ahead. So I really had a good time uh, sitting down with this guy, Zorro. Zorro the drummer. Who are you, a, are you a Lenny Kravitz fan? I like Lenny Kravitz. I haven't listened to him forever. I mean, because he, I feel like he's been quiet, he right? Has, and, he has, yeah. Um, but I, I've always thought he was talented. I think he, a little a little risque at moments, like everybody else in entertainment. But um, I like him, though. I, like, he's, I think he's... I like him, too. Anyway, so this has He's a do, Christian. Right. And this has to do, well... I was reading, you told me that the other day, and I was reading up on that, and I think there is some discussion about that, including in the mind of Lenny Kravitz. But anyway, so go ahead and introduce this next interview they're going to have that has to do with Lenny Kravitz. So this is a drummer, Zorro, and, and he's pretty. He's been pretty well-known. He's had a great yeah, career. He's, he's performed with he everybody. Extremely talented. Not as talented as Pedro, of course. Pedro. <laughs> Um, Pedro's been posting some great pictures yeah, of himself has. drumming, by the way. Yeah, he's, so, um, he's so pretty. That's what I've noticed. He's, he's pretty. very pretty. Um, but so anyway, th now this is a guy who Zorro, I was first told about him by Alexis and she was a makeup artist at the blaze who passed away about a year mm -hmm. and a half ago in a tragic car accident. Really sweet person. Loved her. Um, and she'd given me his book before um, she passed away and said, look, this is a great book. You got to check it out. Um, this guy's a believer. He's a Christian. And, and so we connected Zorro and I, but we never, I think maybe we did an interview. I can't remember, but he was in town and he has a new book coming out in September. Um, and I thought, Hey, why don't you come down? Let's talk. Cause we hadn't met in person. And so we spent like two hours meeting, talking, hanging out uh, on Thursday. And we recorded an interview for the blaze about his career, about his book. And so I'll stop ruining it by rambling and we can just roll it. It's Billy Hollowell here with the church boys. And I have my friend Zorro here. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So glad to be in New York with you, Billy. So it's so funny. We're doing this podcast and we've been talking for like 45 <laughs> minutes. And now we're just jumping in and starting. So it's, you know, I always like to, I always tell people like the behind the scenes, we were talking, you know, off either off camera or before the podcast. Um, you've had this crazy career though, right? You've done, you've been doing music for, for decades. Yes. Um, and you've worked with, I mean, who haven't you worked with? I guess that's a better way. Well, no, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been fortunate. I've worked with a lot of different people and it's been, it's been an incredibly, uh, rewarding ride and I've learned a lot of things on the journey. What would you say, um, because you're a Christian, right? Yes, so, absolutely. okay. You're, you're absolutely. a strong Christian. Yes. What is, and I think for a lot of people, it's sort of, they they think oh there's no Christians in Hollywood or music they they can't there can't possibly be which isn't true there are Christians right. that are there in those in those um, industries what for you was the and I'm gonna ask two different questions I'll yeah. start what is the hardest part about being a Christian in entertainment well I would say uh, in today's climate it's that there's just a very strong spirit of Antichrist in the world it is you know if if I were the same Christian that I am now. Uh, in the music industry, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years, 50 years ago, the country was different. 
the world was different. There's a very strong anti-Christ spirit uh, in, in the you know, entertainment community, period. So the minute people find out that you are, are a Christian, well, and part of the problem is that a lot of people have seen a bad representation of right. what Christianity is, so they immediately write you off with, with their, you know, all the politicians they see that say one thing and do another. But I honestly believe when they really feel the spirit of Christ and the spirit of love within you, that they don't find any fault in that because there's no fault in loving like Jesus loved and in sharing the gospel in a loving way. It's when they see the, the hypocrisy side. But the, the, the difficult part is uh, getting them to be able to give you a chance to see that. <laughs> right, right. You know, before they write you off or, or immediately go, oh, this guy's a, you know... Uh, uh, conservative, judgmental, you right? Know, exactly. You know that whole thing. Well, but yeah, I mean, it, politically, when that merges, there's this idea of, oh, this is what you know it is to be a Christian. That's not always true. It's not always somebody yelling, you know, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. It's, right. That, in fact, ninety nine percent of the time, that's not. Well, it's definitely not the heart of Christianity, but that's not what it should be, right? Um, so let me let me ask you what the most I think rewarding maybe piece of being a Christian in entertainment is. The most rewarding thing has been uh, that God has granted me access to many many people uh, as His emissary, as his, as His ambassador, as His uh, representative. Because you know what is a Christian? You know we are to represent Christ. So the most rewarding part has been uh, to impact a lot of lives, and I've prayed for countless people in the entertainment industry, people in high places, high profiles, that they're never going to darken the door of a church, they have never opened their Bible, they're not watching CBN or TBN, they're not, so they're never going to have an encounter with, with God unless it's going to be through someone like me who's close in their camp. And so for me, I've been sort of, God's used me almost like an operative, like a CIA agent. I look like everybody. I look like them. I look like I fit in. If people look at me outwardly, they might think I'm a total Hollywood guy. You know what I mean? I wear a hat. I wear scarves. I wear jewelry. I look like I'm your rock and roll party guy, but I'm not that guy. I just look like it. I happen to like style. I happen to like you know, fashion, I've always liked that, but that doesn't make me unholy. Right. And, but, but, so the fact is, you know, I'm a chameleon, I look like them, but I walk and I march to the beat of a different drum. And they, so that allows me to get in those camps and in those doors, but then I just love on them with the love of God. So the most rewarding part has been able to see that I have had an impact on numerous people, that God opened up doors for me to reach those people because he knew that I would do it. And I would pray for them, or the Lord might give me a little uh, something, you know, a word of knowledge or something that he would show me about their life, and it would touch them, and, and people would weep. or people, And sometimes people have been watching me walk this path for many years. And so eventually people go, you know, Zorro's that, that Christian guy is always positive, upbeat, motivational. And sometimes they'll come to you years later when they're in trouble because they know you're the only one that has the wisdom that they have not been able to find elsewhere. Which is interesting. That yeah, that is really. They know intuitively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would you say have there been a lot of? And I'm not, obviously not going to ask you for names of people, yeah. and unless those are people who wanted to. But have there been, you know, other musicians who have surprised you, who have sort of traveled on a spiritual path towards Christianity? Uh, there's been some. Uh, not I wouldn't say a tremendous amount. You know what I mean? Like I would like to see a lot more people. You know, it's just I find very few people that are really committed and that are living by those convictions 
to where they don't really care about what... See, I think a lot of people in the industry that I'm in are afraid if you start to get known as that you're from this camp, of this, you know, Christian camp, that you're afraid maybe people won't call you or hire you. I think you're a Jesus freak. And yeah, and so I, I don't, myself, I don't worry about any of that. I'll never know until I get to heaven what gigs and jobs I didn't get because people <laughs> right. wrote me off. I'll and, never and know. I'm sure there's some of that, right? I'm I mean, sure, there's got to be. Sure. Yeah. But, but I, I'm a man who lives by my convictions, and I'd much rather spend my life pleasing God and let him provide for me. Let him open the doors and the pathway for me. Because ultimately, I care more about souls than I do about uh, position. How did you come to faith? I and mean, that's like a loaded question, probably yeah. for a lot of you. But what was take me through that process for you? It started in my early childhood. I had a mother who was a Christian who had strong faith. She was from Mexico City, uh, you know, which is a predominantly Catholic. And so I grew up in Los Angeles, you know, going to the Catholic Church and. But I think at a very, very young age, like six or seven, before anybody could sit me down and really explain the whole Bible and the gospel, I just felt the presence of God. I just felt that there was a God, and I felt His Spirit on me. And so I think just all of my life, He, he uh, uh, was calling me to Him. And at different seasons, I remember... Uh, at about 10 or 12, giving my heart to the Lord, you know, at, at a, a church camp, one of those summer Baptist church camps. And we, then we started going to a Baptist church, and uh, they would invite me for those, those summer camps, uh, you know, for underprivileged kids. And I would go there, and, you know, they have the prayer meetings every day. And I remember walking up, the, the guy gave a sermon, and I was crying, and I received the Lord. I remember it very vividly. And then every time Billy Graham would come on TV and do a crusade, you know, my mother would sit me in front of the TV and say, Oh, Billy Graham, so I've got to watch Billy Graham. <laughs> And every time he made an altar call, I made sure I was resaved. You know, every time I didn't want—I didn't want to miss like you know. So there was just—and then I, so at twelve, I wanted to be like a preacher. I felt that call, and then again at eighteen, and then again in my twenties, and I just realized that God—God God was calling me all of my life, and He He allowed—He has allowed me to utilize all the gifts and talents that He's given me. Uh, first, first the drummer part then the writing and the speaking and the teaching. He's allowed me to use each one of those gifts in a way, and each one of them reaches different people. Uh, and to me, you know, all of our gifts are just connecting points to connect to other people. Because eventually, it's all about people. And I always like to say, you know, I'm in the people business because that's the business my father's in. What does God care ultimately about? His people. And so whatever gifts or skills or jobs or talents we have, they really just put us before other people. Whether we're the hot dog vendor on 42nd Street or whether we're, you know, over at the UN building, we're convening with people. And people need to be touched by God through other people who love God. And so ultimately it doesn't really matter what we do. It just matters that what we do that we make ourselves available as an oracle for God. Which is interesting because during our previous conversation before we started recording the podcast, we were talking about the value of people, right, and how... You're in an industry, I think whether it's entertainment, media, whatever, but it's specifically entertainment and performing yeah. to the level of what you've done. It is a place where a lot of people, I mean, there are fans who are looking at the people on the stage like they are better than even themselves, right? right. Um, and that is a strange dynamic. And you've been able to operate and live in that without ever really letting that color what you think about people. I mean, that's kind of amazing. Well, I just, you know, the key, the key to all that, Billy, is to keep your heart soft because, you know... There is a, there's an Earth, Wind, and Fire lyric I love, and they're one of my favorite groups. And I, I used to tour with the lead singer, Philip Bailey, with the high falsetto, the beautiful, <laughs> beautiful voice. But one of the lyrics in the song called That's the Way of the World, it's one of their great classic songs. And the lyric says, you know, child is born with a heart of gold, 
but the way of the world makes its heart grow cold. And it's very true. A child is born with a heart of gold. He's pure, he's innocent. But the way of the world makes him cold. And so the, the, the key in life for me is to keep my heart, to, and it's a very difficult job, but to guard and protect your heart because the world wants to make it cold. The world wants to make it jaded. The world wants to corrupt it and will easily do it if you give it the chance. So throughout my life in the business and my life in this world, I've tried to stay soft. I've tried to stay childlike and, and tried to maintain that, that essence of purity in an unpure world. And it's very difficult, but it has not come without, uh, without intentionality. And that is how I then that allows me to see what's really the most important thing in life, which is the value of people and other souls and inspiring people and helping people and lifting people up. Because in the end, that will truly be the only reward that we can carry with us to heaven. Will not be the accolades of the gold albums and how much money you made or how many times you were on TV, even how many books you sold. Even preachers who preached a bunch of great messages but weren't sincere about loving people, it will be worth nothing. Because there's a lot of people who do that. There's a lot of people who, who, who preach, but then they got to be in the green room with their entourage, and they can't be bothered, and they can't be, you know, they, they're more like rock stars than the rock stars. So that isn't going to be... It seems like there's more of that than ever right now. More than ever before. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I don't know, and they like a lot of books coming out from those people, a lot of, and, and look, there's nothing wrong with being a famous pastor who has books out and stuff, but yeah, it's just interesting. I feel like there's so much more of like the personality pastor almost. Well, and the thing is, none, nothing is wrong with uh, nothing is wrong with platform. Nothing right. is wrong with fame. Right. Nothing's wrong with anything if you're a good steward of it. But if that starts to corrupt you as a person, and you start to think that you're better than other human beings, or that you don't have time anymore to pray with somebody because you're you're too busy in the green room with your entourage of people, and you See, I mean, when I go speak or preach or play or do anything, I always make myself available. I always make myself available to meet the people, to talk to the people, to pray with the people, to encourage the people, to sign things for the people. If they view me as a superstar drummer or celebrity, that's their business. I view myself as a servant to the people. So I'll use that stardom or whatever you want to call it to give them a positive uh, experience, to go, hey, I met Zorro at the airport and man, he gave me a pair of his sticks and he signed a card for me or he gave me a copy of his book. I want their encounter with me to be something that they never forget in a positive way because then they connect that to Christ because they know I'm a Christian. All they got to do is Google Zorro the drummer and you'll find it in everything that I do. You'll see that I'm a Christian. So it's going to be a bad representation if somebody meets me and they go, that guy was just a jerk or he couldn't give me the time of day or he was, he was unkind, he was, uh, you know, ungrateful his attitude you know he hated everything we fed him you know people talk right so I want their encounter with me to go wow there was something different about that guy he was genuine he was grateful he was inspiring he was sincere and then they then I'm doing the best I can humanly do to represent Christ because that's they're going to associate me with that yeah and no, then absolutely. that's how you impact them you impact them with the way you've chosen to live your life because you can't fool the people. Well, and and this is this all goes into your book, which is which is coming out September first. September first, yes. It's it's available now for pre orders on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but, but it comes out physically. Physically and, comes out, and it's called Soar: Nine Proven Keys for Unlocking Your Limitless Potential. I yes. love that. I love it. Now, so tell me about. I know a lot went into this. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about the book. Why you wrote it? 
I wrote the book because I was compelled to write the book. Uh, the Spirit of God put that on my heart. I had been teaching and sharing these uh, life principles for many years around the world uh, in speaking engagements and, and in every form imaginable. I've been sharing these principles, and I really felt the Lord wanting me to put it all in a book because there's only so many one-on-one -on -one conversations you're ever going to have in your life. There's only so many in you know speaking engagements with a live audience, right? The only way you can multiply uh, a philosophy is through a book, and that's the reason why we have the Bible. Without those words, th those thoughts couldn't, you know, circumnavigate the globe. So the Lord put it on my heart to share those experiences, and He gave me nine what I call life principles. Uh, a lot of books, it's like steps, but none, nothing in my book <coughs> is a step. Because, steps to happiness, steps to being more well, organized, and, steps and, and, and steps kind of denote that you once you do that step, you're completed. A life principle is a never-ending thing. For instance, the, the final life principle in the book is impact. The whole point of our whole life to achieve or accomplish anything is that we impact other people in some positive way. That is not a step like, oh, I did that yesterday, I impacted somebody. No, you're alive today. Every day is an opportunity to impact. Well, every day you're impacting people one way or another. It's just a question of, is it a good impact right. or a bad impact, right. negative what, or positive? Right. What's, the, what's the fallout or the positive? Right. right. But so, so in the book, the Lord gave me nine vital life principles that if we follow these principles and act on them throughout our life, we will, we will develop much fruit and we will accomplish many things uh, and expand the kingdom of God in a unique way that combines our personality with our gifts and our talents and our desires, because God made us to like what we like. You're a writer, and you're an interviewer, and you're a media guy, and that's who God created Billy to be. That's, that's your strength. That's where you're going to soar. But we each have to find what's, what lane are we supposed to be in, because when you're not in the lane you're in, you're never going to, you're never going to soar. I flew on a flight once with Serena Williams, you know, the, the great tennis pro. I was on a flight, sat next to her from um, uh, Paris to uh, Italy, to Rome. And I realized, we talked about tennis and all kinds of things. We both grew up in South Central L.A., which was the only, probably the only two people on the flight who could say that. <laughs> we both, both sat in first class. <laughs> it's hilarious. That is hilarious. I was like, girl, we're going all the way. <laughs> But anyway, it was really funny. I love it. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, and, and I asked her about, you know, becoming a tennis pro. And she said, you know, my dad started teaching me, like, when I was four or whatever. And, uh, but I realized that, like, if I had Serena Williams um, available to me to teach me tennis every single day, in five years from now, I could go from not playing at all to becoming a better tennis player. But if that's not in my DNA, that's not the thing that God gave me, that's not the, the divine gift he gave me to excel in, then I will only be average or mediocre. We are, we are meant to soar with the particular unique gift that he gave us. Outside of that, we can be better at almost anything that we work hard on, but we'll never thrive. We'll never be a genius. We, we have the genius potential, but only in the specific area that God gave us. But he gave everybody something. And the whole book is about teaching people really three things. How to discover what that gift is, because that's the call of your life, is to discover the treasure. Then, once you discover it, you have the accountability and the responsibility to develop it, which, which is a process of a lot of work, and there's a lot of steps and a lot of strategies to developing what we have. And then, and then the whole goal of it is to deploy it. It has to be used. It has to be uh, 
sent out in the world so that people can benefit from your life by you using that gift. So those are really the core things that are in the book. And then those nine life principles are what he showed me and what I have made work in my own life over and over and over again with every new vision or dream that God's given me. Because my gifts were that of a drummer, a speaker, a teacher, and a writer. Outside of that, I'm a moron. I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, you've used all of those gifts very well. Well, thank um, you. You have. You have. <laughs> but outside of that, I, I'm a numbskull. I don't you know, know if I believe that. But <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It's interesting, though, that, and a lot of people don't ever really figure that out, which is kind of sad. They don't figure out what they're called to do because they don't really ask or they're not really sure or they kind of live in limbo sure. their whole lives, which, which is interesting. So this is a book that really could benefit anybody. It is written for absolutely anybody. It is not a specific age group or demographic. Everybody's put on this planet. God has intended for us all to soar because we're all his children. He wants to see all of his children succeed and prosper. And I truly believe that. I'm a father of two, and I'm just a mere man uh, born into sin. And yet I want to see my children soar to the highest heights, and I want to see them I want to see them fulfill the, the call of God in their life. So why wouldn't God want to see each one of us soar? We are all of his children. He put, something, he put something of himself inside of all of us, which is that divine spark, that, that genius potential. And so it lies within us, but we, you know, the world tries to, a lot of times even people in your own family won't see it. Uh, and, and so the book goes into all the, the book's just filled with inspiring stories, tons and tons of stories of things that will inspire people to dig deeper and to really to, to, to take up that call of who you are and find out who that is. So that way you can be here to do what you're here to do. Last question for you. Yeah. And this is a, a music question. Sure. Out of all your fe the fellow musicians you've worked with, who has been your favorite act to work with? Uh, probably Lenny Kravitz, you know, because Lenny and I uh, grew up together. And Lenny is also a believer, you know, uh, Lenny's a Christian. And... Uh, we have just uh, an affinity musically. We're, we're about the same age, almost identically. Uh, we grew up loving a lot of the same type of groups. And there was just a spiritual connection that when we played, you know what I mean? There's just There was a power that came over him and over I that was just sort of an anointing. When God put us together, there was just, it was just like a heavenly spark. And you don't get that with everybody, you know what I mean? And so that, that was one guy that I really... Um, really just enjoyed playing with like immensely. I also, uh, because I grew up a humongous uh, fan of Earth, Wind & Fire, they were one of my favorite groups when I was growing up. They were like my idols. And uh, so when I used to play behind Philip Bailey, the lead singer of Earth, Wind & Fire, that was always a real thrill because you're hearing in your monitor mix the voice that you've heard so many right. times <laughs> on the records that you love. It's weird, right? It's yeah. weird and you're going, hold on. I'm listening to this voice live. I'm playing the drums behind this voice live. This is the voice that's saying fantasy and reasons and September and got to get you in my... Like, these are the greatest songs of, of that era. And then I also really loved playing with Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons because Frankie was also... One of the first songs I ever really learned to play on the drums was the song Grease from the movie Grease because that's about when I started playing the drums. It was like 78. And so Grease had a funky drum beat in a funky drum section of the song that was like just the drum breakdown and I remember going to the theater loving that beat and you know and just learning how to play it and then one day I'm playing with Frankie and thinking man I remember when I watched in the theater. <laughs> you know what I mean and now I'm playing with the guy it's kind of cool it's very cool it's really and cool. I'm grateful eternally grateful for every one of those experiences you know I don't, I don't take any of them for granted at all it's just all been a blast so where can we send people, what website can we send people to for you? Uh, Zorro the Drummer, uh, well, Act 2, actually. Zorro Ministries, 
www.zoroministries.org. That is my ministry website. People can subscribe to my blog. They can subscribe to my one-minute uh, video YouTube channel there. Uh, and then I have my drummer site, which is just zorothedrummer.com. Uh, but go to the ministry site because if you want to get fed and you want to get inspired and you want to get motivated awesome. and uplifted, the ministry site has a lot of my shareable quotes. I write quotes every other day uh, to inspire people and I blogs and a lot of television interviews. So zoroministries.org. Awesome. We'll make sure we link out to uh, to both of those as well. And we'll make sure we link out to Soar on Amazon so people can check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Billy, Appreciate it. Uh, it's been an awesome privilege and a pleasure. And I speak blessing to all the people out there uh, listening. And I decree that in Jesus' name that uh, you'll be inspired uh, by our conversation and that you'll uh, commit to soaring. I love it. Well, thank you. Thanks, man. So I love a good story where somebody stands up to uh, atheists. Boy, I just I love I, now. Look, I I know atheists. I like atheists. I have no problem with atheists. But you know when some when the atheists, activists get a little wild, some atheists I, are my very best friends. <laughs> I I just love though when somebody is like, no, you know what? I'm not going to remove that nativity, or you know right. what? Yeah. I'm going to recite this Lord's prayer right in your face. Um, I love that, and so. This school, um, East Liverpool High School in Ohio, in East Liverpool, Ohio, they had this tradition. And now I don't, I mean, this is 70 years ago when they started doing this. It's it's the Lord's Prayer. I don't quite know how it got started, but the choir at graduation would sing the Lord's Prayer. Right. And so this year. And you said they've been doing this for 70 years, right? You said 70 70 years. years. 70 70 years. years. Until atheists stepped in and and said, you can't do this. And ruined everything. (laughs) <laughs> the Freedom from Religion Foundation allegedly ruined everything. Um, and the school basically backed down because they didn't want to have a legal battle. And they said, OK, now, now, look, that also indicates that the school probably wouldn't win a legal battle on this, yeah. which I think is the uncomfortable fact that conservatives well, have to contend with. That there's, there's, court, they don't want to have to fight the legal battle, but they also can't afford the legal battle, even if they thought they could win, depending right. on the state. Because if a state allows if a state allows the victor to recoup their legal costs from the loser then that's one thing. But if you're in a state where that isn't the case and you're and the school even wins, they might, they might not be able to afford to do it. Yeah. And I think the, the issue here is public schools, you have a captive audience and that is part of the problem. You know, that, that is when, when it comes to public school stuff, it gets a little tricky, but needless to say, they chose not to have the battle, but the students got smart and what they decided to do, the valedictorian took the stage and he put his hands up and he led the entire class in reciting the Lord's Prayer. So they removed the choir part of it, but they did not, re- they couldn't remove the students from doing it or stop them from doing it. And mm. so um, it's a great story. You can watch, uh, you can watch it. It's kind of hard to hear, but you can see what they did and how they rose up and got a round of applause so, on the blues. So the the basis for the mm, fight over this came from one person filing a, a complaint with the Freedom From Religion Foundation or the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Did the foundation... <laughs> Did they find out about it and then they complained or did somebody actually come to them with a complaint? As far as I know, somebody came to them with a complaint, so if which you, is usually how this works. If you go to a place, and I know you and I have talked about this off air, if you go to a school where they have done this for the last 70 years, what other than utterly selfish motives would possess you to complain to the Freedom From, from Religion Foundation that this must stop? It is so offensive. This minute and a half song is so incredibly offensive. That we that has been done for seventy years that I have to have it stopped. What what possesses you other than selfish motives? 
Well, the argument is that you're being cut out, you're not being represented, you're being um, marginalized as an atheist, that your views aren't being represented, and so it's that's graduation. not okay. It's not about the school's it's not, favoring Christianity. It's not about your views. It's, it's whatever. They would argue that there's a favoring of Christianity going on and that that violates the Establishment Clause right. of the First Amendment. That, that would be their argument. And I know that they would come back, well, what if they were doing a Muslim prayer at the graduation? Well... If they've been doing a Muslim prayer for the grad at the grad, and I would have an issue if, if this year the local school, you know, where I coach, was doing was doing a decided to implement a Muslim prayer into the graduation, I would I have an issue with you? Yes, I would, and I would talk to the administrators about it, and and we would try to see say that that you know that. But that's a different. If they had been doing Muslim prayers at the graduation for the last seventy years, I might check myself and go, you know what? I'm not sure that that's something that I should just stand up and, and and just suddenly oppose. They've been doing it for 70 years for a reason, not to promote violence, not to promote anything else. It's just something they've done for the last 70 years. Yeah. What would possess... I, it's the selfishness and just dickish... It's dickish turning, turdiness. It, yeah, turdish, turdishness and dickishness of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I mean, that's just... That, that's what they do. They just say, you know what? Our shtick is douchebaggery. That's going to be our shtick. And so what can we do to, to, to foment that? That's what they do. And it's, it's oh, just not a <laughs> fun way to end lot the show. Of, I think it's a lot of boredom. It's got to be. And it's, it's, and it's self-righteousness, it's, which is amazing for people who are atheists. This self-righteousness, right? They, anyway. Well... I, we may, I, we're about to potentially elect I, an atheist, so <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, and actually, two thirds of the candidates have been accused of being atheists. Um, uh, there you go. There you go. It's not a fun way to end the show. I hate ending the show on a note like this because it's so. It's we try to end up right. We try to end up with fun and funny, and and it's just and you listen to something like that, and so I don't. You know, here we here we go. Here's how we'll end this. Well, Ted Cruz here, he, uh, he's saying Donald Trump's scared of him. But this hey, Donald Trump's happy. not scared. And he's saying Donald Trump is uh, insulting his old lady. But he, Donald Trump is just telling the truth there, Ted. And there's, I've got evidence, and I'll leave links, um, where Ted Cruz has been messing around with five different women. Oh. I got the videos where links to uh, videos of uh, Ted Cruz eating boogers. Okay. Now I feel better. <laughs> I just awkwardly transitioned myself out of that funk that I was in from the atheists. You really are a creep. Well, so, all right. So it's Memorial Day weekend. Are you doing anything special for Memorial Day weekend? Um, no. You're not? No, I'm not, which is depressing. Do you I'm have not. any family who were, who, were, who were killed in war, who are dead veterans? No, you know, I don't. I, I have people who fought, but no. Yeah, but they fought on the wrong side, so. That's well, look, they, you know, they're Italians. That's so. right. They were all, no, they, they were actually, of, I have, they were part all of, the of my Italian relatives, all of my Italian relatives that I know, um, fought for the American side. Okay. Well, you, you just said you didn't have any family who fought. Well, they lived. They didn't Oh, die. they're still, they're still alive. Well, okay. they've now passed on, but okay. they had fought and lived to be very old. Okay. But now they're not old. They're dead. They're dead. Okay. Yeah. So then you do have... So then Memorial Day would be a time for you to remember them because Veterans Day is when yeah. we celebrate the ones who are alive. Memorial Day is when we celebrate the yep. ones who have, who have passed. So, all right. Yep. So I've got, in fact, I have a clipping. I don't know if you can see. Can you see the second this frame? I have, I have three giant frames here on this wall, and they're, and they're, in, they're frames with, framed with barn board here. 
and I don't want to take the camera off the computer because it'll take me forever to reset it. But if you look here, Billy, I've got three different, and it's, this is from World War II, and these, all these newspapers are from World War II, and they're clippings from World War II that, are, that I got from my grandparents, who are, my grandfather was uh, in the Navy and was a pilot. One, oh, wow. And, was, and signed up uh, at about, uh, like the day after, I think, of Pearl Harbor, the day after Pearl Harbor. So how did you end up becoming such a Nancy? I know. I've got a whole bunch of manly men in my family, and I'm not one of them. Anyway, so these all these clippings come from World War II. I mean, these are all newspaper headlines and clippings and full pages of, like when the war ended, right here. We've got VE Day over here. We've got VJ Day over there. I've got some other clippings here, and one of them is a clipping of a friend of mine, not a friend of mine, an, uh, an uncle, a great uncle, my grandmother's brother, Kenny, who was uh, knocked off an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean so, oh wow yeah he was lost at sea anyway so several family members have been in the military but that one is particularly powerful to me because of the fact that he did die in world war ii got knocked i mean it's one of those things like it's one of the, it's one of those stories you hear like oh that'd be so scary but that actually happened to him knocked off an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean at night and nobody could find him that's horrifying it is hor horrifying i mean he just i think got hit by a plane or I don't know if he, I don't know if they were being a, I think he just got hit by a plane or knocked off, you know. Some anyway, just awful, awful. But anyway, how do how do hero. we always end up ending on an awful note? I don't know. Should we go back to? Yes. Okay, just a minute. Cue up the booger part. Uh, let's try right here. I've got evidence, and I'll leave links. Um, where Ted Cruz has been messing around with five different women. I got the videos where. Links to uh, videos of uh, Ted Cruz eating boogers. Okay, and this guy's a, is a son of a bitch. So that's, that's it, Billy. On that happy note, have a glorious Memorial Day weekend. <coughs> are you barbecuing? I'm sure. I know you're not going to honor the you know our dead veterans, but... Well... Are you going to be barbecuing? I'm sure you will be. Amazing. The Church Boys. Woo! <laughs>